Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. I will admit I've been out of the studio for a few weeks taking care of my sweet hubby. And I got to tell you, it's great to be back. And on top of that, to have my good friend Rick Cromie joining me today in the studio. Rick is the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International and is one of our columnists, where his column covers historical subjects. Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. It's good to be back in the studio and back with you first time in a while, huh? Hey, you know, it was so funny. Monday I was sitting there going... I need to get somebody in the studio this week. And literally, this email pops up from you. Yeah. And I'm like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was I was looking for work, you know, Sandy. So here I am. Yeah, because this yeah. pays so well. Yeah. Volunteer <laughs> services pays so well. But thank you. It's How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great, yes. So you spent your summer, your yes. late spring or summer and, and early fall on a cruise ship. Let's talk what? about that for just a okay, minute. Okay, yeah. I am. I actually work, this is my second season. I work for American Cruise Lines. I'm the Lewis and Clark historian, Oregon Trail, but I also primarily specialize in Lewis and Clark history. And so I travel the Columbian Snake River with American Cruise Lines and speaking to audiences and of uh, between 60 to 200 guests, wow. depending on the size of the ship. And we do the paddle wheelers. Maybe some of you have seen those paddle wheelers yep. and, on the Columbia River. And uh, we have five ships on the Columbian Snake Rivers. It's an eight-day trip. There's 10 days as well if you want to get adventuresome. But I travel that and have a great time at it. Uh, it's basically, I'm the culture guy. It's it's, it's a one-of-a-kind type of job that you have. I, I work closely with the guests, basically kind of a pastor with the guests. Uh, you just help them understand the, the whole thing. And it's just a lot of fun. And I got lucky uh maybe it was divinely blessed guided to this opportunity but what it, a fun good. job yeah I mean, you know wow yeah so, it's not a job for me it's just uh it's it's fun and i can bring my wife along when she's available to go and so we we, we have a good time lucky linda yeah so yeah when our oldest was going to u of i mm-hmm. we would stay in clarkston because yeah. the rooms there was always rooms available in clarkston and it was yeah. close enough to moscow that you know it was just a jaunt up over the hill and we would see we would stay in the best western and we would see the paddle boats because yeah. they dock right there at the bottom yeah. and so cool but so you said it's it's an eight to ten day so yeah. is it up and back because we always no. assumed it was just one direction it's one direction wow you get on and american cruise lines actually works with you uh, in fact sometimes you can get great deals with them where it includes your airfare because you fly either into Portland or you fly into Clarkston, uh, and then you uh, take the trip, and then you get off at Portland or you get off in Clarkston, and then you fly home. And then fly home. That's yeah. really cool. So, oh, we didn't mean to talk about that so much, but yeah. something that's always intrigued me and, and has been on my bucket list for many, many years. Well, put it under your bucket, and let's go take a ride. Let's do it this, <laughs> this spring when it's warmer, because I am not a cold-weather girl. Yeah, there are better times to ride than in the spring, but uh, yeah, come, come join us. So you have, speaking of history, you have a history with Christian Living Magazine. Yeah. You are not only one of our columnists now, but you actually started with Christian Living when you were the cover story on our November, December 2020 yes. issue. I just have to give that shout out. Folks, if you want to catch that story, it's still on our website. You can go to christianlivingmag.com, go to our past issues tab, scroll down to November 2020, 
and that that's the page flipper version, yeah. and you can just flip to the centerfold and, and read all about Rick's personal life. Sitting on my Harley testimony. Davidson, which I still have, yes. That was, you know, my husband yeah. shot that photo, and it was one of our funnest photo shoots. Yeah. So, because he's such a biker dude, and so he's like, <laughs> hey, can, we're... Can we do that on the bike? I'm like, yeah. sure, I don't care. <laughs> so today, let's let's we're going to fast forward here. It's December, right? It's the month that we all celebrate the birth of Jesus, or Christmas by any other name. As Christians, there are many debates about how we could or should celebrate. I love social media because I get to sit. It's like I get to sit on the sideline and see all the debates. Mm-hmm. What traditions do we participate in? What do we allow our children to participate in? Which brings us to today's topic. You offered to come and share with me, and you sent me so much great information. I loved it. It, it made, I had more fun preparing for today. But we're going to talk about the history of St. Nick today. Yeah. St. Um, Nicholas. Who he was, how his legend got started, and maybe even touch a little bit on how we got to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about Nicholas from Petura, Turkey, and the times he lived in. Which all right. Please? Well, at, first of all, let me just kind of preface this whole thing where... You know, we have to be very careful as Christians, and and I understand. In fact, uh, when we get to the American story of this later, you know, there definitely is an element of Christianity that rejected Christmas, but the rejection of Christmas was for different reasons than people reject it today. Yeah. And I actually had a, a person say to me a few years back, he said, if you, you know, you look at the word Santa and you mix up the letters, you get Satan. I said, yes, well, if you turn God around, you get dog. What's the difference? I mean, what are you yeah. trying, what point are you trying to make here? What you have to do with Santa is learn the story. How much do you actually know the story, the history of Santa Claus? And to know Santa Claus, you actually have to peel away all of the traditions, all of the myths, all of the legends that have grown up around him for the past 1,700 years and look at him from the man that he was. Man, is he old. Right. <laughs> First of all, yeah, and he, he is old. He is old St. Nick. But, but his name was Nicolaus or Nicholas. He became a Nick uh, or St. Nick through the Greek Orthodox tradition. He had a number of other names when he, when he basically the names we know him uh, by came through all of the different expressions of the, when it spread into Europe, there were all sorts of different other names. You know, the Dutch called him Sinterklaas and the English called him Kris Kringle or Father Christmas. French or Spanish called him Papa Noel. Uh, uh, the German called him Weihnachtsmann, which, you know, I, I can, you barely, can say that. Barely, <laughs> barely say that without uh, sounding like a sneeze there. Yeah. Russian, that's where we get Grandfather Frost. But in the Spanish, it's interesting, Santa. Santa is the word holy. Oh. Yeah. I mean, if you ever looked at a, a Spanish Bible, it's Santa Biblia, Holy Bible. Santa. I did not yeah. connect those. Yeah, yeah. Look at, yeah, Santa is literally holy. So holy Claus. Santa comes back. It literally means saint. That's where we get the word Saint Claus or Santa Claus. And so there's a lot that we can learn from this. But what's interesting is when I look at the story of Santa Claus, you can really attribute the whole story to four forces that move the story forward. It would have been lost. This whole story would have been lost to history if it hadn't been for the Islamic Jihad of the mid-centuries. Yes. We'll talk about that momentarily. And then it probably would have gotten lost in Europe if it hadn't been for Martin Luther. Martin Luther changed it as well. If it hadn't been for the Dutch, the Dutch saved the story for us, especially in America. And then finally, uh, Washington Irving, uh, the author Washington Irving. So we'll look at each one of those here in brief as we travel through the story. 
But let's start with just a little bit more about Nicholas himself. He was born into great wealth. His parents were immensely wealthy. In fact, he never had to worry a day in his life about how he's going to live. Uh, uh, he was born uh, in Patera, Turkey, 280 AD. So this is really early in church history. He survived during one of the most brutal times of Christian persecution. There yeah. were a lot of different persecutions that he, he endured. One of the worst was under Roman Emperor Diocletian, which was in the, in the late 200s, 284 to 305 AD. Uh, this was a very uh, intense persecution. Uh, literally, Diocletian wanted to erase Christianity from the planet. Uh, he ordered the arrest and death of Christian church leaders. He wanted all the scriptures destroyed. He wanted homes where churches met. He wanted them all burned to the ground. It was a terrible, terrible time, and he survived that. And if it wasn't for his parents' wealth, he probably wouldn't have made it through that. Yeah. It was in that moment, though, they became very sensitive to the poor. He had wealth, but he was very sensitive to the poor. And so he started to be very generous. And he was known to give to the poor people. But he did it anonymously. Yes. Was he not very active in his church? I mean, he was a man of great faith. Yeah. So, you know, that ties all that in together, too. A great movement of the Holy Spirit calling him to see the needs of those who were less fortunate. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, his generosity springs from that, from his faith. Yes. And, you know, he, he was just, I, I love, I love the idea that he gave anonymously because the Santa Claus we have today is far from anonymous. Absolutely. In fact, I think that if he showed up today and saw what has become of who he is, he would literally go, whoa. This is not what I intended. You guys have made an idol out of me. I mean, you put me up in a mall and you sit on my lap and you ask me for good stuff. That's not what I was about. Yeah. Not originally. There is one story I've got to tell you because this is really interesting. There's a story that comes out very early of about a, a desperate man, a, really a bankrupt merchant. He's he's down on a luck. <laughs> he's going to lose his family. Uh, he's going to lose oh, everything. Yeah, I remember that. Yes. He's going to lose everything. And back then, you know, you could lose your whole family into slavery. And uh, his girls were all virgins, and he was scared that they were going to be sold into the sex industry, the market, sex market. Yeah, sex trafficking is trafficking, not new. Yeah, <laughs> and he had no dowry money for them at all. And so he, Nicholas caught wind of this situation, and he shows up one night at the midnight hour, literally at the midnight hour, and he tosses bags of gold into each window, and they land, according to the legend, according to the story, in a sock that was drying by the fireplace. Now you understand the, the origination of the fireplace, right? That's right. But what's interesting about that is if you know anything about pawn shops, one of the logos, in fact, I'll show you a picture here. Oh, yes. One of the you, logos, yes. this, is, this is the logo of the world-famous pawn shop down there in Las Vegas. If you've watched Pawn Stars, ever seen Pawn Stars, it's, it's a little, it has three bags hanging from three bars. Yep. Nobody was, you don't know what those are. This, this goes back to St. Nicholas. Nick St. Nicholas was the patron saint of pawnbrokers because he helped people who were in their hour of need, needed to have some generosity thrown their way. So th- is that how the tradition of giving gifts yeah. during the night? Yes, it connects back to him at that point. And for 1,200 years, in variations, it was celebrated that at the midnight hour, a gift would be given to a child. That's so funny. We yeah. were listening to some Christmas music the other day, and he kept saying, Straight up midnight, Santa will come down. And I'm like, where did he get that? So yeah. now, I know now you know where that came from. That was a historically mm-hmm. accurate song. Yes, straight hmm, up interesting. midnight. In fact, it's interesting uh, when, it, when it does move into Europe, and we'll talk about that momentarily, depending on where it was at. For example, in German and Poland, the boys would actually dress up like bishops because he's later going to become a bishop himself. Yes. And they would beg for alms for the poor. That was part of the tradition. 
they would actually dress. It's like Halloween for the kids, to, for the boys to dress up like bishops. I found that interesting. Alms yeah. for the poor. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. So he served as a bishop in Mira, a, right. por- a port in Asia Minor. Right. And as a leader, he endured so much persecution, but he was also known for his fiery attacks on the pagan Roman culture. So what else can you tell us about his ministry? Because we don't, in modern day, we don't think of Santa Claus or St. Nick as being in ministry, (laughs) not the way you and I are in ministry. He was a bishop at Myra, and he had quite a a long ministry. He didn't want to go into it. Uh, He resisted it. There's a whole story about that that's very interesting. But once he got into it, and he was immediately jailed, but once he was freed, he went out with a vengeance. I mean, he turned it on and went attacking, first of all, the Roman pagan culture for what it was. He took on adultery in the Roman culture. He took on homosexuality in the Roman culture, prostitution, other sexual sin. That was a particular area for him that he really attacked. Of course, it didn't win him any uh, bonus points. Uh, Still doesn't way. today. No, it wouldn't. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, he wouldn't be a very popular guy today. But it got the people of Myra so upset and so turned around, they actually tore down the goddess of uh, Diana, the fertility goddess of Diana in oh town. Literally tore it down due to those sermons. He also helped end the Greek Olympics because of the body pagan games that they had become. Yep. He's personally responsible for hundreds of years. We didn't have Olympics because of this man, Nicholas, because originally they were performed in the nude. Yeah. And he said, no, no, what are we doing? We're only doing it because it's pleasurable to watch nude people. It's titillating, scandalizing, you know, and such. He says, we need to end that. He spoke against murder. See, a lot of these social sins, especially the Roman practice of killing babies who were unborn or unwanted babies, excuse me. You know, we think about abortion today. Yeah. You know, we need these voices still in our culture. He was willing to stand up against all that. And he dealt with heresy as well. He was one of the bishops at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD that produced the Nicene Creed that a lot of churches to this Don't day still today. recite. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. yeah. So he's very essential to all that. Uh, there's so many more uh, stories I could tell you about. He, he would say prayers that were uh, would produce miracles. Uh, he prayed for an angry sea to calm one time, and it did. He prayed one time. Uh, his, his people were famished in Myra, and a big ship comes in with all sorts of grain on it. And they said, we, he, he asked for the grain to be given to his people in Myra. They said, we can't give you any grain. He says, he says I'm going to pray for you that you give us all the grain you have, and you'll still have grain on board. And they said, okay. And they gave him all the grain on board. And when they looked in their, their grain bins, their grain was still on the ship. It's still full. And it, these were the miracles that made him a saint. Because in the Catholic religion, you have to have miracles associated to your sainthood. But he's eventually going to die in, on December 6th of, of 343 AD. And that's where the story really begins. That's I was going to say, that that is. Because this is in, in the point in his story when the Islamic jihadists move into his story and into Italy and Europe. That's at 1087 AD. And that's based on your notes because I'm not that smart. Well, <laughs> So what happened there? Well, first of all, let's, he dies in 343 AD. Yes. So there's 700 years here where he's basically limited down there in the area of Turkey. Yep. That's where his story is pretty much limited. And the, all those midnight stories, all those little traditions, his, his, he was honored. He was sanctified through the great Greek Orthodox Church. He had St. Nicholas Day, December 6th became St. Nicholas Day down there. That was just this week. And and, and Yeah, just this week we celebrated that. At least in Europe, they still celebrate in parts of the world. But St. Nicholas Church in Demery, Turkey, was built in honor of him. But seven centuries later, this is where you can thank the jihadists, the the Islam jihad at that point, they came in and they were destroying everything. Yeah. 
And they were afraid that they were going to take him, take, and they were desecrating Christian graves. They were, they were afraid that they were going to take his grave and desecrate it. So they took his bones and they moved it up to Italy. And it was there that Pope Urban II basically built a church around him, Basilica di San Nicola de Barre, which still exists to this day. In fact, you can go to this particular cathedral, and his tomb reportedly exudes an, an oil of St. Nicholas, that, that you can get enough oil that you can actually buy the oil and take it home with you. Uh, very, a healing very type intriguing. of oil. Yeah, I don't know what it does, but pilgrims take it home all the time. But the, pub, the Muslim invasion of this area forced the story up into Italy, which then spreads it up into Western Europe and Northern Europe, which if it hadn't been for that push, that's it would never spread. It would have just stayed a local it legend. It would have stayed down there. We would have, it would have been a local Think yeah. about all the stories that get lost in history. This would have been another one that had been lost. Absolutely. So you can thank the, the Muslim jihadists for that one. They gave us Santa Claus. They gave us Father Christmas. They gave us Weinerschnack uh, and St. Nick and <laughs> all those other ones. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit, because I'm watching the clock here, because this is something we could talk about for a long yes. time. But the the Protestant Reformation under Martin Luther was instrumental in a major shift in how and when St. Nicholas Day was celebrated. Let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah. Well, obviously, what happened when it moved into Europe was they started to make a feast around St. Nicholas Day. And it became a very famous feast, uh, the Feast of St. Nicholas. And in fact, there was nuns in Belgium and Poland that, that really framed the whole, po- the whole idea of giving gifts to the poor. So it was a very great gift-giving day. December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, giving gifts to the poor. It was very missional. It was very outward-focused. It was a day of, of, of feasting. The Dutch brought in carols to it. They would sing Sinterklaas songs about him arriving at midnight to put little presents for boys and girls underneath their pillows. There's, there's a one legendary story about how St. Nicholas left uh, gold coins for people in their shoes, uh, usually kept just inside the front door. And there are still people today in America that celebrate that. I heard about that this last week, uh, that where children leave their shoes inside the doors on Christmas Eve to be filled with gifts. Well, what happened was during the Middle Ages, there was a lot of uh, the churches were starting to say, well, wait a minute, wait, we're, we're missing the focus here. Yeah. The focus should be more on Jesus this time. He's the reason for the season, not all this feasting and all this other stuff we're doing. Even though they're good things, the reason for the season is Jesus. And so they wanted to refocus. In fact, it's out of this that you get the famous St. Francis of Assisi uh, nativity scene, the yep. creche. Yep. You know, it comes out of this period. Well, Martin Luther comes along, as you just mentioned, and Protestants... We're protesting a lot of things that were kind of acceptable at that point. And they decided among many things that they're going to protest are saint days and saint feasts. And so they eliminated it altogether. However, Martin Luther was a good German. And Germans love to eat. And Germans <laughs> love the feasts. That. Yes. Germans also love the gift-giving aspect. And they, they kind of pushed back on Martin Luther. And Luther went, oh, we got a problem here because, you know, I, we got Protestant churches all over the place are, are getting rid of this. What can we do? And then he thought, where's a better place to give gifts than on Christmas? Yeah. So he was the one that took the story of St. Nicholas, the traditions of St. Nicholas, moved them off of December 6th and put them squarely on December 25th. So the story of St. Nicholas became December 25th. St. Nicholas visited Christmas Eve, not on the eve of December 6th. I love that. Yeah. That's, I always wondered how, yeah. it got, oh, how that got moved. And by the way, the German name for a Christ child 
is Chris Kindle. Chris Kindle, which is where we get the name Chris Kringle. Oh. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. They also gave us Christmas trees, Advent candles, you know, wreaths. All that comes from our German heritage. So we're coming down to the last two or three minutes here. I have to ask, did the English contribute anything to this? Oh, yeah. Well, the Dutch were one of my favorites. We're going to have to forget that story uh, uh, with the with the Santa Claus and stuff like that. Uh, they, 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 they brought it. In fact, it was the Dutch that really brought it into America, kept it alive in America. So we'll probably have to come back to that. But the English, uh, you know, 12 Days of Christmas, a lot of that comes out of the English background. Focusing on the feast of Christmas, and nobody feasted better than King Henry VIII. You know, he had the the Christ Mass Holy Day, of course. Uh, but the Twelve Days of Christmas, it became known for its hard partying, gambling, uh, its dancing, sexual promiscuity, English. Christmases were were very body. Wassail was a spiced beer at that time. It was it was really getting to be a troubled situation in England, and it, it was basically a combination of Sin City and Mardi Gras, if you want to think about it. That was really really rough, and it also separated the rich from the poor. There was this this big thing. The rich were really having the big parties, and the poor weren't. Which is the story of Charles Dickens. Like Scrooge. Chris, yeah, the Scrooge. The Christmas Carol comes out of yep. that whole thing. Well, it's also this Anglo bodiness that's going to create two types of movements. There are those who want to purify this holiday, and then there's those who are going to want to separate, the separatists and the Puritans. And both those are going to move over to Americans, known as pilgrims. Yep. And they're going to come over here, and one of the first acts that the pilgrims are going to do in order to create a better society in New England, they're going to actually outlaw Christmas and Halloween. Altogether. So if you're a Puritan or a separatist pilgrim, it was actually illegal. 1659, you paid a five-shilling fine to celebrate Christmas, wow. which actually was a little bit of money. Yeah. And the reason was was because it was so body. It wasn't focused on Jesus at all. It was, yeah. it was totally a, a holiday for uh, the senses. Gosh, where have we uh, ever yeah. seen anything like that? <laughs> In fact, let, let me read you this. This okay. is very interesting. Puritan leader Reverend uh, Cotton Mather told his congregation December 25th, 1712. So this is on Christmas Day. Quote, can you in your conscience think that our Holy Savior is honored by mad mirth, by long eating, by hard drinking, by lewd gaming, by rude reveling, by a mass fit for none but a Saturn or a back? or the night of a Muhammad Ramadan, you cannot possibly think so, end quote. That's what that's Powerful. what the Puritans thought of Christmas. But it's Puritan comes out in me. Yeah. It's true. It's the cute phrase. Jesus is the reason for the season. We gotta be careful. Yeah. How we we can secularize it as well. Yeah. And that's what's happened in America. Really, we became a melting pot for all these European traditions. Everybody, the German, the Dutch, all these different English, we all brought these traditions here, and we produced a brand new type of Santa Claus. Yep. It was people like Washington Irving. He was an author in New York. That's where the Dutch settled. He was the first one to write a description of Santa Claus. Charles Dickens comes along, writes a Christmas carol. One of the most famous artists we have was the Sunbloom Coca-Cola artist in, the, in 1930, comes along, starts drawing Santa Claus, yeah. and now we start marketing him. And then, of course, the post-World War II years, Santa Claus becomes a part of our tradition, our holiday traditions, and it just takes off year after year, and we have the Santa Claus of today, which is purely secular, yep. you know. And that's, that's the thing. I can understand why people don't like the Santa Claus tradition, but don't miss who Santa Claus really was. Who he started out to be. And who Absolutely. he still can yeah. be. Absolutely. Teach the so, real Santa Claus. So we have to wrap up. Yes. Oh, my gosh. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. I was so excited when you reached out to me. So thank you. Where can our listeners go to find out more about 
your ministry, yeah. the MANA Education Services. Absolutely. Uh, RickCromie.com is the best place to come uh, reach out to me. By the way, I have two blogs on this particular topic uh, right now. You can check it I out. I read them both yeah. earlier this week. They're phenomenal. Yeah. This does bring our time to end for this week. Rick, thank you again. We invite you folks back next week when we have another special guest in store for you, someone who will encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.